This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Methuselah. Ulysses by James Joyce, Part 2, The Odyssey. Episode 12, Cyclops, Part 1. I was just passing the time of day with old Troya the DMP at the corner of Arbor Hill there, and be damned but a bloody sweep came along and he near drove his gear into my eye. I turned around to let him have the weight of my tongue when who should I see, dodging along stony batter, only Joe Hines. Oh, Joe, says I, how are you blowing? Did you see that bloody chimney sweep near shove my eye out with his brush? Such luck, says Joe. Who's the old bollocks you were talking to? Old Troy, says I, was in the force. I'm on two minds not to give that fella in charge for obstructing the thoroughfare with his brooms and ladders. What are you doing around these parts, says Joe. Devil a much, says I. There's a bloody big foxy thief beyond by the garrison church at the corner of Chicken Lane. Old Troy was just giving me the wrinkle about him. Lifted any god's quantity of tea and sugar to pay three bob a week. Said he had a farm in the county down. Off a hop of my tongue by the name of Moses Herzog over there near Hatesbury Street. Circumcised, says Joe. Aye, says I, a bit off the top. An old plumber named Garakti. I'm hanging on to his taw now for the past fortnight and I can't get a penny out of him. That the lay you're on now, says Joe. Aye, says I. Howard a mighty fallen. Collector of bad and doubtful debts. But that's the most notorious bloody robber you'd meet in a day's walk. And a face on him. All pockmarks would hold a shower of rain. Tell him, says he, I dare him, says he, and I double dare him to send you around here again, or if he does, says he, I'll have him summoned up before the court, so I will, for trading without a licence. And he, after stuffing himself till he's fit to burst, Jesus, I had to laugh at a little Jewy getting his shirt out. He drink me my teas, he eat me my sugars, because he no pay me my monies. For non-perishable goods, bought of Moses Herzog, of 13 St. Kevin's Parade in the city of Dublin, Wood Key Ward, merchant, here and after called The Vendor, and sold and delivered to Michael E. Garakti, Esquire, of 29 Arbor Hill in the city of Dublin, Aaron Key Ward, gentleman, here and after called The Purchaser. Vidalicit, five pounds Averdepoy of first choice tea at three shillings and no pence per pound Averdepoys and three stoned Averdepoys of sugar crushed crystal at three pence per pound Averdepoys, the said purchaser debtor to the said vendor of one pound five shilling and six pence sterling for value received, which amount shall be paid by said purchaser to said vendor in weekly installments every seven calendar days of three shillings and no pence sterling. And the said non-perishable goods shall not be pawned or pledged or sold or otherwise alienated by the said purchaser, but shall be and remain and be held to be the sole and exclusive property of the said vendor, to be disposed of at his good will and pleasure, until the said amount shall have been duly paid by the said purchaser to the said vendor in the manner herein set forth, as this day hereby agreed between the said vendor, his heir, successors, trustees and assigns of the one part, and the said purchaser, his heir, successors, trustees and assigns of the other part. Are you a strict TT, says Joe. Not taking anything between drinks, says I. What about paying our respects to our friend, says Joe. Who, says I, sure he's out in John of God's off his head, poor man. Drinking his own stuff, says Joe. Aye, says I. Whiskey and water on the brain. Come around to Barney Kiernan's, says Joe. I want to see the citizen. Barney Maverneen's be it, says I. Anything strange or wonderful, Joe? Not a word, says Joe. I was up at that meeting in the city arms. 
What was that, Joe? says I. Cattle traders, says Joe. About to foot and mouth disease. I want to give the citizen the hard word about it. So we went round by the linen hole barracks and the back of the courthouse talking of one thing or another. Decent fella Joe when he has it, but sure like that he never has it. Jesus, I couldn't get over that bloody foxy garakti, the daylight robber, for trading without a licence, says he. In Inish foiled the fair, there lies a land, the land of Holy Mikan. There rises a watchtower beheld of men afar. There sleep the mighty dead as in life they slept, warriors and princes of high renown. A pleasant land it is in sooth of murmuring waters, fish full streams where sport the gurnard, the place, the roach, the halibut, the gibbed haddock, the grills, the dab, the brill, the flounder, the pollock, the mixed coarse fish generally, and other denizens of the aqueous kingdom too numerous to be enumerated. In the mild breezes of the west and of the east the lofty trees wave in different directions their first-class foliage, the wafty sycamore, the Lebanonian cedar, the exalted plane tree, the eugenic eucalyptus, and other ornaments of the arboreal world with which that region is thoroughly well supplied. Lovely maidens sit in close proximity to the root of the lovely trees, singing the most lovely songs while they play with all kinds of lovely objects, as, for example, golden ingots, silvery fishes, crans of herrings, draughts of eels, codlings, creels of fingerlings, purple sea gems, and playful insects. And heroes voyage from afar to woo them, from Eblana to Sleeve Margie, the peerless princes of unfettered Munster and of Canuck the Just, and of smooth, sleek Leinster, and of Cruan's land, and of Armagh the Splendid, and the noble district of Boyle, princes, the sons of kings. And there rises a shining palace whose crystal glittering roof is seen by mariners who traverse the extensive sea in barks built expressly for that purpose. And thither come all herds and fatlings and first fruits of that land, for O'Connell Fitzsimon takes toll of them, a chieftain descended from chieftains. Thither the extremely large wains bring foison of the fields, flaskets of cauliflower, floats of spinach, pineapple chunks, rangoon beans, strikes of tomatoes, drums of figs, drills of swedes, spherical potatoes, and tallies of iridescent kale, york and savoy, and trays of onions, pearls of the earth, and punnets of mushrooms, and custard marrows, and fat vetches, and beer, and a rape, and red, green, yellow, brown, russet, sweet, big, bitter, ripe, pomelated apples, and chips of strawberries and sieves, of gooseberries pulpy and pelurious, and strawberries fit for princes, and raspberries from their canes. I dare him, says he, and I double dare him. Come out here, Garakti, you notorious bloody hill and dale robber. And by that way when the herds innumerable of bellwethers and flushed ewes and shearling rams and lambs and stubble geese and medium steers and roaring mares and polled calves and long woods and store sheep and cuffs prime springers and culls and sow pigs and bacon hogs and the various different varieties of highly distinguished swine and Angus heifers and polybollocks of immaculate pedigree together with prime premiated milch cows and beeves. And there is ever heard a trampling, cackling, roaring, lowing, bleating, bellowing, rumbling, grunting, champing, 
chewing of sheep and pigs and heavy-hooved kine from pasture-lands of lusk and rush and carrack-mines, and from the streamy vales of Thomond, from the McGillicuddy's reeks, the inaccessible and lordly Shannon the unfathomable, and from the gentle declivities of the place of the race of Kier, their udders distended with superabundance of milk and butts of butter and rennets of cheese and farmers' firkins, and targets of lamb and crannocks of corn, and oblong eggs in great hundreds, various in size, the agate with this done. So we turned into Barney Kiernan's, and there, sure enough, was the citizen, up in the corner, having a great confab with himself and that bloody mangy mongrel Gary Owen, and he waiting for what the sky would drop in the way of drink. There he is, says I. In his glory hole, with his crust-keen lawn and his load of papers working for the cause, the bloody monger let a grouse out of him would give you the creeps. Be a corporal work of mercy if someone would take the life of that bloody dog. I'm told for a fact he ate a good part of the breeches off a constabulary man in Santry that came round one time with a blue paper about a licence. Stand and deliver, says he. That's all right, citizen, says Joe. Friends here? Pass, friends, says he. Then he rubs his hand in his eye and says he... What's your opinion of the times? Doing the rappery and rory of the hill. But be gob, Joe is equal to the occasion. I think the markets are on a rise, says he, sliding his hand down his fork. So be gob, the citizen claps his paw on his knee and he says, Foreign wars is the cause of it. And says Joe, sticking his thumb in his pocket, It's the Russians wish to tear the ice. Ah, give over your bloody cutting, Joe, says I. I've a thirst on me that I wouldn't sell for half a crown. Give it a name, citizen, says Joe. Why not a country, says he. What's yours, says Joe. Ditto Macanaspe, says I. Three pints, Terry, says Joe. And how's the old heart, citizen, says he. Never a better, a harder, says he. What, Gary? Are we going to win, eh? And with that he took the bloody old towser by the scruff of the neck and by Jesus he nearly throttled him. The figure seated on a large boulder at the foot of a round tower was that of a broad-shouldered, deep-chested, strong-limbed, frank-eyed, red-haired, freely-freckled, shaggy-bearded, wide-mouthed, large-nosed, long-headed, deep-voiced, bare-kneed, brawny-handed, hairy-legged, ruddy-faced, sinewy-armed hero. From shoulder to shoulder he measured several elves, and his rock-like mountainous knees were covered, as was likewise the rest of his body wherever visible, with a strong growth of tawny, prickly hair, in hue and toughness similar to the mountain gorse, Ulex Europius. The wide-winged nostrils from which bristles of the same tawny hue projected were of such capaciousness that within their cavernous obscurity the field lark might easily have lodged her nest. The eyes, in which a tear and a smile strove ever for the mastery, were of the dimensions of a good-sized cauliflower. A powerful current of warm breath issued at regular intervals from the profound cavity of his mouth, while in rhythmic resonance the loud, strong hail reverberations of his formidable heart thundered rumblingly, causing the ground, the summit of the lofty tower, and the still loftier walls of the cave to vibrate and tremble. He wore a long, unsleeved garment of recently flayed oxhide, reaching to the knees in a loose kilt, and this was bound about his middle by a girdle of plaited straw and rushes. Beneath this he wore trues of deerskin, roughly stitched with gut. 
His nether extremities were encased in high balbriggan buskins dyed in lichen purple, the feet being shod with brogues of salted cowhide laced with the windpipe of the same beast. From his girdle hung a row of sea-stones which jangled at every movement of his portentous frame, and on these were graven with rude yet striking art the tribal images of many Irish heroes and heroines of antiquity. Cuchulain, Con of hundred battles, Nile of nine hostages, Brian of King Cora, the Ardry Malachi, Art McMurrah, Shane O'Neill, Father John Murphy, Owen Rowe, Patrick Sarsfield, Red Hugh O'Donnell, Red Jim McDermott, Sogarth Owen O'Growney, Michael Dwyer, Francie Higgins, Henry Joe McCracken, Goliath, Horace Wheatley, Thomas Conneff, Peg Woofington, the village blacksmith Captain Moonlight, Captain Boycott, Dante Alighieri, Christopher Columbus, S. Fursa, S. Brennan, Marshall McMahon, Charlemagne, Theobald Wolftone, the mother of the Maccabees, the last of the Mohicans, the Rose of the Castile, the man for Galway, the man that broke the bank at Monte Carlo, the man in the gap, the woman who didn't, Benjamin Franklin, Napoleon Bonaparte, John L. Sullivan, Cleopatra, Savernine Delish, Julius Caesar, Paraclesis, Sir Thomas Lipton, William Tell, Michelangelo Hayes, Muhammad, the Bride of Lammermoor, Peter the Hermit, Peter the Packer, Dark Rosaline, Patrick W. Shakespeare, Brian Confucius, Murtag Gutenberg, Patrizio Velasquez, Captain Nemo, Tristan and Isolde, the First Prince of Wales, Thomas Cookinson, the Bold Soldier Boy, Arada Pogue, Dick Turpin, Ludwig Beethoven, the Colleen Bonn, Wadler Healy, Angus the Coldee, Dolly Mount, Sydney Parade, Ben Howth, Valentine Great Ricks, Adam and Eve, Arthur Wellesley, Boss Crocker, Herodotus, Jack the Giant Killer, Gautama Buddha, Lady Godiva, the Lily of Killarney, Balor of the Evil Eye, the Queen of Sheba, Aki Nagel, Joe Nagel, Alessandra Volta, Jeremiah O'Donovan Rosa, Don Philip O'Sullivan Bear. A couched spear of accumulated granite rested by him while at his feet reposed a savage animal of the canine tribe, whose stertorous gasps announced that he was sunk in uneasy slumber, a supposition confirmed by hoarse growls and spasmodic movements which his master repressed from time to time with tranquilizing blows of a mighty cudgel rudely fashioned out of paleolithic stone. So anyhow, Terry brought the three pints Joe was standing, and begob the sight nearly left my eyes when I saw him land out a quid. Oh, as true as I'm telling you, a good-looking sovereign. And there's more where that came from, says he. Where are you robbing the poor box, Joe, says I. Sweat on my brow, says Joe. Twas the prudent member gave me the wheeze. I saw him before I met you, says I, sloping around by Pill Lane in Greek Street with his cod's eye counting up all the guts of the fish. Who comes through Mykin's land bedight in sable armour? O Bloom, the son of Rory, it is he. Impervious to fear is Rory's son, he of the prudent soul. For the old woman of Princess Street, says the citizen, the subsidised organ, the pledge-bound party on the floor of the house. And look at this blasted rag, says he. Look at this, says he. The Irish Independent, if you please, founded by Parnell to be the working man's friend. Listen to the births and deaths in the Irish All for Ireland Independent, and I'll thank you and the marriages. And he starts reading them out. Gordon, Barnfield Crescent, Exeter, Redmayne Iffy, St Anne's on Sea, the wife of William T. Redmayne of a son. How's that, eh? Wright and Flint, 
Vincent and Gillette Dorota Marion, daughter of Rosa and the late George Alfred Gillette, 179 Clapham Road, Stockwell, Playwood and Ridsdale at St. Jude's, Kensington, by the very Reverend Dr. Forrest, Dean of Worcester, eh? Deaths, Bristol, at Whitehall Lane, London, Carr, Stoke Newington, of gastritis and heart disease, Cockburn, at the Moat House, Cheapstow. I know that fellow, says Joe, from bitter experience. Cockburn, Dimsey, wife of David Dimsey, late of the Admiralty, Miller, Tottenham, aged 85, Welsh, June 12 at 35 Canning Street, Liverpool, Isabella Helen. How's that for a national press, eh, my brown son? How's that for Martin Murphy, the Bantry jobber? Ah, well, says Joe, handing round the booze. Thanks be to God they had the start of us. Drink that, citizen. I will, says he, honourable person. Health, Joe, says I, and all down the form. Ah, oh, don't be talking. I was blue moly for the want of that pint. Declare to God I could hear it hit the pit of my stomach with a click. And lo, as they quaffed their cup of joy, a godlike messenger came swiftly in, radiant as the eye of heaven, a comely youth, and behind him there passed an elder of noble gait and countenance, bearing the sacred scrolls of law, and with him his lady wife, a dame of peerless lineage, fairest of her race. Little Alf Bergen popped in round the door and hid behind Bernie's snug, squeezed up with the laughing. And who was sitting up there in the corner that I hadn't seen? Snoring, drunk, blind to the world, only Bob Doran. I didn't know what was up, and Alf kept making signs out the door in Big Gob. What was it? Only that bloody old pantaloon Dennis Breen in his bath slippers, with two bloody big books tucked under his oxter, and the wife hot foot after him. Unfortunate, wretched woman, trotting like a poodle. I thought Alf would split. Look at him, says he. Breen, he's traipsing all around Dublin with a postcard someone sent him with UP up on it to take a look. <laughs> and he doubled up. Take a what? says I. Libel action, says he, for £10,000. Oh, hell, says I. The bloody mongrel began to growl that it put the fear of God in you seeing something was up, but the citizen gave him a kick in the ribs. By I do tossed, says he. Who? Oh, says Joe. Breen, says Alf. He was in John Henry Menton's, and then he went round to Collins and Ward's, and then Tom Rockford met him and sent him round to the sub-sheriff's for the lark. Oh, God, I've a pain laughing. U.P. Oh, the long fellow gave him an eye as good as a process, and now the bloody old lunatic has gone round to Green Street to look for a G-man. When is Long John going to hang that fella in Mountjoy? says Joe. Bergen, said Bob Doran, waking up. Is that half Bergen? Yes says Alf. Hangin', wait till I show you. Here, Terry, give us a pony. That bloody old fool, ten thousand pounds. You should have seen Long John's eye. You pee. And he started laughing. Who are you laughing at? says Bob Doran. Is that Bergen? Hurry up, Terry boy, says Alf. Terence O'Ryan heard him, and straightway brought him a crystal cup full of the foamy ebon ale which the noble twin brothers Bung Iva and Bung Gardelon brew ever in their divine ale vats, cunning as the sons of deathless Leda. For they garner the succulent berries of the hop, and mass, and sift, and bruise, and brew them, and they mix there with sour juices, and bring the must to the sacred fire, and cease not night or day from their toil. Those cunning brothers, lords of the vat. 
Then did you, chivalrous Terence, hand forth as to the manner born that nectarous beverage, and you offered the crystal cup to him that thirsted the soul of chivalry, in beauty akin to the immortals. But he, the young chief of the Obergans, could ill brook to be outdone in generous deeds, but gave therefore with gracious gesture a testoon of costliest bronze. Thereon, embossed in excellent smithwork, was seen the image of a queen of regal port, Sion of the house of Brunswick, Victoria her name, her most excellent majesty, by grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, and of the British dominions beyond the sea, Queen defender of the faith, empress of India, even she who bore rule, a victress over many peoples, the well-beloved, for they knew and loved her from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof, the pale, the dark, the ruddy, and the Ethiop. "'What's that bloody Freemason doing?' says the citizen, prowling up and down outside. "'What's that?' says Joe. "'Here you are,' says Alf, choking out the rhino.' talking about hanging. I'll show you something you never saw. Hangman's letters. Look at here. So he took a bundle of wisps of letters and envelopes out of his pocket. Are you codding? says I. Honest Injun, says Alf. Read them. So Joe took up the letters. Who are you laughing at? says Bob Doran. So I saw there was going to be a bit of a dust. Bob's a queer chap when the porter's up in him. So says I, just to make talk. How's Willie Murray those times, Alf? I don't know, says Alf. I saw him just now in Capel Street with Paddy Dignam. Only I was running after that. You what? says Joe, throwing down the letters. With who? With Dignam, says Alf. Is it Paddy? said Joe. Yeah, says Alf. Why? Don't you know he's dead? says Joe. Paddy Dignam, dead? says Alf. Aye, says Joe. Sure him after seeing him not five minutes ago, says Alf, as plain as a pike staff. Who's dead? says Bob Doran. You saw his ghost then, says Joe. God between us and harm. What? says Alf. Good Christ, only five. What? And Willie Murray with him. The two of them there near, what do you call him's? What? Dignam dead? What about Dignam? says Bob Doran. Who's talking about dead? says Alf. He's no more dead than you are. Maybe so, says Joe. They took the liberty of burying him this morning anyhow. Paddy, says Alf. Aye, says Joe. He paid the debt of nature, God be merciful to him. Good Christ, says Alf. Begob he was what you might call flabbergasted. End of section 23 Recorded by Methuselah